All right, the outlines are going around. As the outlines are going around, you can open up to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, this is what we have. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, although he who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth in every, uh, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, <clears throat> in verses, really kind of narrowing it down a little bit, we've got verses 6 through 8 talk about something that is uh, a interesting topic. It's a, it's a big word. It's called the kenosis. As we're finishing up our series on Christology, uh, this is our last topic that we're going to cover, and that is the kenosis. So uh, anybody know what the word kenosis means? What's that? You did? It does not mean you did. No. All right, guys, right off the bat, hey, let's not do this this Sunday. All right, uh, so the word kenosis means emptied or emptied himself, all right? And so this is an a important doctrine, and that is from the Greek, in uh, this passage... There has been, from this, this understanding of what it means that Jesus emptied himself, there is many false doctrines that stem from this. This topic is extremely important to study and know, because if you study it and you get it wrong, you very easily end up in heresy. Heresy is a word that you won't hear me use often because it has a lot of weightiness to it. To, to, to announce somebody as a heretic, somebody that is uh, defacing what it is to, to defacing God, denying uh, Christ, denying the deity of God, denying the deity of Christ. Heresy is not something we should throw around flippantly. 
But if you get this wrong, what it means that Christ emptied himself, you can very easily end up in heresy. So this is extremely important to know and understand. So what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? It's not a small question. It's something that you and I all need to take seriously. And I'm going to do one sermon on this issue uh, that could easily take months to be able to just dive to the depths of. I don't want to make light of it. Uh, I don't want to make it seem like an insignificant matter. But I also don't want to overcomplicate it for you. Or for myself, for that matter. Uh, Even when digging to the depths of a doctrine or theological issue, you must often come back to the simplest explanation in order to keep yourself grounded, right? And so when we're digging to the depths of something, you need to constantly be reminding yourself of the base level, the foundation, the simplest form of it, because you can get carried away and forget what that foundation is, and that's how you jump off onto these crazy doctrines. And so what I'm going to do is, or attempt to do, is give you the simplest form of the kenosis that I can, and this should form a foundation for you to hold in order for you to dig deeper as you continue to study God's Word. But... I'm not going to do that today. Now now you're like, what? Wait, huh? Uh, So as important as it is, I believe it's equally important for us to put the text in its context. The kenosis is an extremely important doctrine. But Paul's main point in this text is that we have unity by having the heart of a servant And he uses the supreme example of Jesus to show us where our hearts should be. And so I don't want to take away from the text by simply diving in and focusing on the kenosis. And so with any study you do, if you don't have the text in its context, you once again can easily go astray. And so you really do need to put that. And so that's what we're going to cover today. And then next week, we're going to lay that base layer, that foundation of what the kenosis is. What does it mean that Christ emptied himself? And that also gives you some time to think through that, right? Maybe think through that, read through that text, do a little studying on your own, and then we can compare notes next week and see where you've come up with on this issue. Because to, to deny the deity of Christ, which is where some go, is, is total uh, heresy. To, to say that Jesus, there's some that would say Jesus was a man and uh, Christ indwelt him from the point of his baptism to the point of the crucifixion. And then the man died and the Christ went on. And so there's all sorts of things that people try to do to dice this up. And so study, do a little research on your own. But for now, we are going to take and just exposit, and it's really going to be a a pretty, I'm I'm covering 11 verses, so it's not going to be like a deep exposition of this either. We could, again, spend a long time here. But I want to give you the, the context, the big picture, the overview. Why is Paul even talking about this? 
And that is because Christ set a supreme example for us as to what it is to be a, a servant. So I want you to think now even. So love, a, a, a Christian love. You see, as Christians, uh, we, we can love like the world can't love because we have the love of God. First John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And so God gives you a love that is from him, is him. It, God doesn't just love perfectly. He's the definition of perfect love. And so he enables you as believers to be able to love like this. And so think about displays of love. What are some things that either uh, God has allowed you to do as a display of your love? How do you display your love to others? Or how have you experienced others displaying their love to you? You can go ahead and answer this one, right? So how, how has others, have you experienced others displaying their love to you? And how do you display your love to others? Praying. So you pray for others. Okay. Serving? Is that serving? Okay. Well, let's talk about how do you serve? What's some examples of serving, right? So do you, like, come in? You love your sister, so you come in with a, a cheese platter, and you're like, oh, behold the cheese, right? Uh, what, what does practical service look like? Uh, John? Giving of your own time to serve God. Okay, Julia? Okay, preparing them a meal or doing their chores. You had something? Okay. Making sacrifices for them. What kind of sacrifices are you willing to make? Your time. Okay. How? How does that look when you sacrifice your time? That's big, right? There's like many of, I mean, friendships when you're little kids is is crazy, right? It's like every week you get a new best friend, uh, and then like you hate your best friend, but they're they're still your best friend, and it's just, it's, it's crazy, right? But because a lot of times they don't learn how to sacrifice what they want to do. It's like, I want to play Legos. Well, I want to go outside and play swords. Oh, I want to play Legos. I want to go, and you just sit there, and all of a sudden you're arguing, you're fist fighting, rolling around on the floor, right? Because neither you, you, it's what you want to do. You're living out the your desire, right? And so putting their desire above your own. So yeah, it's like I realize that uh, I'm still not the greatest at that, but like I uh, I love hunting, hiking, fishing, stuff like that. Um, and not all of my children share the same interests and, uh, as I do. And I had to realize that maybe I need to not keep trying to take them out into the woods to do things, and maybe I need to just sit down on the floor and play Legos, right? It's not about what I want to do. It was about being with them, right? What's some other examples? I can't hear Okay, obedience to your parents, that's a good display of love. Parents in the back, nod your heads, yeah, that's a good display of love. David? 
I think we are thinking uh, sacrificially. When you are supporting the missionaries or the church, you finance, even if you think you are sure you will, it's kind of like a question of lobbying and even sacrificing. Okay, giving of your finances. So uh, how many of you right now set aside some of your money for tithing to the church or maybe even to, to missionaries, right? Think about that. It's setting aside that. That, that, come, that doesn't come easy for you, right? A lot of you. Some of you have, like the older ones of you, you have jobs that are like pretty hardcore jobs. But some of you are, are dependent on uh, doing some extra chores around the house. And so you can't wait till the leaves to fall off the trees because that's, you might be able to make a, a few extra bucks off of that. And that's, that's hard-earned money, right? That's, that's like, I worked hard for that. And even some of you that have those jobs, right? Some of you that have those jobs, you have vehicles, you have cell phones, you have your own bills that you got to pay. And it's, 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 that's worked hard for that, and it doesn't come easy. And it can be a hard choice to decide to give that to the church, to, to make that as an offering to the church or to missionaries. Yeah. So... Um, Obviously, we're, we're working to, towards the greatest display of love, and that is the love that Christ had, that he was willing to come to earth and make the sacrifice uh, for on our behalf. And so really what this, what this text is, is doing is it, is it is laying up and telling us about the sacrifices we need to be making, and that is in copying and following the example of Christ's love. And so as we step through this, I want you to think about, are you reflecting the love of Christ to the world? Are you loving others properly? So first, first is to be like Christ. Paul starts with asking some questions that to any believer, the answer would be a resounding yes, right? If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection, any compassion is there, right? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes, there's encouragement in Christ, right? And so, how could you be a Christian and not be encouraged in Christ, he is our living hope. If we are in Christ, we are new creatures in the, uh, and are no longer slaves to sin, but children of God through him. How even in the most difficult circumstances and situations could there not be encouragement in Christ, right? Are you consoled in Christ? Any consolation? Are, are you consoled? Do you find comfort are you consoled by the love that Christ has? There is no greater comfort than to be forgiven and loved by the one true God. You think about this. When you're like, what is it that makes you feel better when you are like down? Is it a hug? I'm not a huggy kind of guy. But I mean, there's some people that like, you just see them curl up into a hug, right? And uh, it's like, there, there are certain things that people do that console you that just, when you're, when you're in that pits, right? When you're, when you're in the miry clay, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
right? There are things that, that can be an encouragement to you, but there is no greater consoling than that of the creator and owner of all things, the God of the universe, and, and your Lord and your Savior. There is consoling, there is consolation that goes on in the relationship with Christ, and I pray that you would experience that. Affection and compassion. God has given us His Spirit uh, that unites us, our spirit to Him and to other believers, and uh, we have affection and compassion like no one else can have because they have it from God as He gives to us. And so other believers are able to love with a Christ-like love. The world can't give you this, right? And so there is affection and compassion that we receive from God. He is not an impersonal God. He is not a dictator. He is not up in heaven just wanting to squish and squash people, right? He is an affectionate God. He is a compassionate God. So Paul is uh, stating... What should be obvious to believers to drive home the point that minor differences should not become dividers, and we should love others as Christ loves us. God's grace through the church, or, or <clears throat> so God's grace through the church, that's number B on your outline, God's grace through the church. By the way, if you are a Christian, the church is you. Okay, you understand that. It's not this building. It's God's grace through the church. God often uses his church as a means by which he distributes his grace. God often chooses to use the church as a means by which he uses to distribute his grace. And so... A lot of times you find this encouragement, this constellation, this fellowship, this nourishment through the church. What a joyous privilege we have. It's not that God needs us, but that God chooses to use us for His glory. We get to be instruments in God's hands, used for His glory, that He would use so that others might be able to experience His grace. And that is that we are supposed to be pointing others to Christ as we do this. So I ask you, are you encouraging other believers as they seek to walk with the Lord? Because get, understand, Christ came, not only did He come to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be able to be right with God, so that we might be able to just be justified. He came to live and set the perfect example for us also. And so he is the example. You are supposed to be Christ-like. You understand this, that trying to be like me isn't the standard. Trying to be like Pastor Chris isn't the standard. Trying to be like your parents isn't the standard. Now, I pray that in every area that I am like Christ, that I would be an example that you could follow. But I am not the standard. Christ is the standard. So don't settle for less than pursuing to be like 
Christ. And that involves being like this. And so this is why Paul is pointing this out and talking about it. So are you encouraging other believers as they seek to walk with the Lord? Are you an encouragement as you are being encouraged by being in Christ? Are you encouraging others that are in Christ? Are you consoling others in love? Are you comforting others? Again, this is, I I said hugging isn't my thing. I am not a touchy-feely kind of guy. Hugging is not my thing. But if hugging is your thing and you need to be consoled, then I need to not care about what makes me feel comfortable and not. And maybe just need to give you a good hug when and where it's appropriate. Okay? But it's, it's, it's not about me. Get it? The understanding that it's not about you and what makes you feel good. It's about being like Christ. Are we united in fellowship with others who also have the same spirit as we do? <clears throat> Are you not united in fellowship with others? I, I almost went... I did. I had to like erase a huge section of my lesson because I realized I wasn't going to have time for this. I almost did this huge chunk on this. Do you understand that there are, there are three, I like to put them in three major categories of differences, right? There's a level one difference that we're talking about heresy, right? It's like when you're denying the person and work of Christ, we cannot call you a brother or sister. We cannot... Uh, have fellowship with you, like with the Jehovah's Witnesses or with the Catholic, right? I don't believe those, those teachings actually lead to salvation, and so therefore I cannot call them Christian, right? I would have to say that that is wrong to believe that. And then there's what I would say would be level two issues where the, we have the gospel right, but there are some pretty big doctrinal differences that we don't agree on that would hinder us from, it would hinder me from going to your church, right? And so I couldn't go to a church that teaches this thing. Uh, But you do have the gospel rights, so therefore you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not going to tear you down, trash you, I'm not going to call you a heretic because you're not, yet you do have some things that are wrong. And then there's these level three issues that would be like some very, very minor doctrines as far as like maybe your view on the tribulation as far as whether you're going to be raptured at the beginning, middle, end, pre-rap, where your rapture view is, that's, that's not a major dividing thing for me. And so we can go to the same church, we can have the same fellowship, or, or a lot of those level three issues fall into conscience areas, right? What your conscience feels about certain things. It's not necessarily a black and white in the Bible. It's like, you know, are you... Uh, should God's word only be preached out of the King James Bible? Well, some of those can get a little crazy too. But, you know, we do three hymns and then we pray and then we do one hymn afterwards and this is the way it is and I don't feel comfortable when I go to a church. I don't like it when a church is that way. You know, it goes differently. Uh, we pass the offering plate. They don't. What's, what's that? How, how often are you supposed to have communion? Those sort of things that... Our differences and their preferences, but their conscience issues are their preferences, and they really shouldn't be dividing. This is what is happening to the church then. This is what happens to our church now, is people take those level three issues and make them level one issues. And they'll have church splits over what color the carpet is supposed to be. 
It's crazy. Paul is saying, push this stuff aside. Are you kidding me? Why would you be divided over these, these little things? If you are brothers and sisters in Christ, then you should be putting these things aside. And so, is there unity? Do you understand that you have the same spirit within you? If you are a Christian, the exact same Holy Spirit that, that uh, bears witness with your spirit is the spirit that's bearing witness with their spirit, that unites us in Christ, we are in Christ. We are immersed in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there doesn't need to be any common ground whatsoever except the fact that you are Christians. And that is enough. If that's the only thing that you have in common with somebody else, that's enough. And so are you united in that spirit? And are you affectionate and compassionate to others just as Christ is to us? I learned so much about the marriage relationship. I'm still continuing to learn. And I am the husband, so I am supposed to be uh, the head of the house as Christ is to the church. My wife is supposed to be like the church, right? Submitting to uh, the husband as, as the church submits to Christ. And anytime I have these wrong thoughts, I really need to bring myself to thinking. Two things. One is, am I trying to lead as Christ leads the church? Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Because right now, I'm, I'm having these feelings, these emotions, right? Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? And then, my second question, before I even dare to consider approaching my wife about whether she is responding to me as the church is supposed to respond to Christ, is I ask myself, is, am I responding to Christ the way I'm asking my wife to respond to me? Am I asking, am I myself responding to Christ? the way I'm asking my wife to respond to me. And a lot of times I realize and find out that I am not being affectionate and compassionate the way Christ is. And so when I flip that role, because as, as a husband, I, I, I flip that role. I have to flip that role because I am the church, and so I am the bride of Christ. So I am supposed to be responding to Christ the same way that my wife is supposed to be responding to me and her responding to Christ. That, man, that cuts to it. But... It's, it's that affection, that compassion. Like, I, my wife, you need to pray for her because I, I am not an easy guy. I am not the emotional uh, kind of guy. Uh, and so, uh, affection and compassion don't always come natural for me, but it's not, it's not an option. It's not about what comes natural for me. That's what this lesson is about. It's not about you. This world is going to tell you, just do it, you do you. There's no objective truth in this world. It's like you get to make up your own truth. Guess what? There is truth, and someday everybody's going to recognize and realize that truth because it's going to come to light when Christ returns and when God takes his church home and then when he establishes his, his reign and authority here on earth and at the end of our text we'll come to that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord whether you want to believe it or not. That's truth. That's absolute truth. Right? And so why not come underneath, underneath this the right way now?
Because just because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord doesn't mean that every person will be saved. They will be acknowledging the lordship of Christ while they're spending eternity facing the wrath of God because they rejected the gift of Christ. But they will know that Christ is Lord. Don't you be on the wrong side of that. And so, when, when it's not your nature, but it's commanded in Scripture, cast your nature aside. You need to train a new nature because God's not going to tell you to do something you can't do. And God's not going to give you a task where sin is the answer for you to overcome it. And so get over yourselves and be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what this journey is about. That's what sanctification and perseverance is about, is being conformed to the image of Christ. And so we, the quicker you teenagers are able to grasp that and realize that, listen, have dreams, pursue them. Pursue them in such a way that you are bringing glory and honor to Christ as you pursue them. And even if you fail in the world's eyes, you won't fail in God's eyes because you're laying up eternal treasures and rewards. I'm not trying to squish your dreams, right? Have those dreams. But those aren't eternal. They only hold, hold eternal value based off of how you're pursuing to honor Christ as you're pursuing those. But if your dreams, if your hopes, if your desires, if your pursuit of relationships cause you to not be conformed to the image of Christ, you need to put those aside. If there is anything in your pursuits that is sinful or could cause you to be sinful, you need to put those aside. This is every Christian's goal. This is, you want to know what... God's will for your life is, I mean, I, I used to, like, I was just, like, the whole girl thing. Girls are difficult. You know that, right? Oh, the whole girl thing, it was like, it just, oh, I want to know who she is, who is the right girl. And I just, like, God, can you just write it in the clouds or something, right? What my career is. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to be until I grew up until I grew up. I was like 40 years old, right? And you know, that's, that's a late, late, late start, right? It's like, oh, what is God's will for my life? Here's the deal. This is God's will for your life, to pursue Christ's likeness. Anything you do, pursue Christ's likeness as you do it. Pick the woman, pick the man that is going to help you look the most like Christ that loves Christ, is going to be a partner in this with you. Pick the job. Pick the career. Take the path that's going to help you look the most like Christ. And when God takes the snow globe of your life and violently shakes it, and everything gets flipped upside down, pursue looking like Christ. Plan your ways. Let the Lord direct your steps. Don't hold something so tightly that you would fight against God if he were to take it away from you. Pursue Christ's likeness. This is Paul's point as he goes on. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. See on your outline is be humble. Do not be selfish or conceited. They walk hand in hand. The selfish person... Uh, is selfish, or yeah, 
the selfish person is selfish and conceited. Uh, they think they deserve to put themselves above others. We need to always remind ourselves that apart from Christ, we hold no true value. You understand that? Apart from Christ, you hold no true value. You can grow up to be the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation. And if you don't have Christ, you take nothing to eternity with you. Even if you have Christ, that multi-million dollar corporation, you don't take with you. What you take with you is the treasures you stored up in heaven, and that is earned by how you pursue Christ-likeness. Are you living for the world where all of these things are going to fade and go away? Or are you living for Christ where that holds eternal value? And when you, when you actually meet the Lord face to face, you will find out what you are living for. Is there a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that is burnt up? Or is it eternal reward? And so do not be selfish. It, it, some of you are, are born with the horrible burden of being good-looking. That is not going to get you very far in eternity. That may get you far in life. People may want to be your friend because of what you give to them by being good-looking, right? Some of you are disgustingly gifted in sports. You are like oozing athleticism, right? There is like nothing you can't do good at. And that's great. Use that to glorify God because it holds no eternal value. You may be popular. You may be cool. And some of you are like, I'm not popular and I'm not cool. Doesn't that make me cool? <laughs> right? That's, that's a new thing too. That comes and goes. It's like, it's cool to be the dork. It's cool to be the nerd. It's cool to be the odd man out that doesn't conform to what the popular culture says. Listen, get over yourselves. It's not about you. God made you look the way he wanted to make you look so that you could use that for his glory. If you don't use that for his glory, you're using that for your own glory, and you're competing with God. God gave you the brains he gave you to use for his glory. God gave you the family he gave you. God's going to give you the careers he gives you. He's going to give you the cars he gives you. He's going to give you the hobbies he gives you so that you can use them for his glory. The biggest competition for God, for lordship in your life is you. And that comes down to serving yourselves. And the greatest way to display your love for Christ, besides conforming to his image, is displaying your love for others. Because Christ loved others. And so don't regard yourselves to be something important. But humble yourselves. Think of others as more important than yourself. He says, do not be selfish or conceited. Don't be selfish or conceited. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. You think you're hot snot on a silver platter, but all you are is a cold booger on a paper plate. Okay? Don't be so arrogant to think that you are great. Thank God for the things he has given you and use them for his glory. 
We deserve nothing but his wrath. You understand that, right? We don't even deserve to live to the point of judgment. We deserve to be destroyed and squished right now because we're an offense to God. Because we have violated his commandments. It is only through his mercy and grace. And so, because of that, we ought to love others. We ought to give of ourselves to others. And that is with humility of mind. That is understanding in your mind even. Sometimes we have false humility where we can look humble on the outside. We look like a servant. And inside we are eating it up because everybody is calling us a servant. And we're conceited in our minds because everybody sees how much of a servant I am. I serve on every student leadership team there is. And I am always down here setting up the chairs and I sweep and people see that and it makes me feel good. And you have a need to be needed and so you're just constantly pouring yourself out as a servant. And in your mind, you're building yourself up and you're building your own kingdom and you're competing for Christ, with Christ for lordship with humility of minds. Thomas Watson says in his his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, that uh, contentment is like the buoys on top of a fishing net, and humility is the sinkers that hold it down in place, right? And if you didn't have contentment as the buoys, the net would just fall to the bottom and be useless. But if you didn't have humility holding it down in place, it would just float up and float away and float downstream, and it would be useless also. And so, be content with where God has you, with how God made you, with the things He's given you. Use them for His glory, and have humility of mind to help balance those out. Don't ever start thinking more highly of yourself than you should. And then He gives us the supreme example. The supreme example. In the chapter prior, Paul gave himself as an example of a servant. Now he gives us the supreme example of Jesus Christ and how he demonstrated. And he says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. You understand that, right? Christ not only loves, uh, lived a perfect life to atone for our sins, but he lived to be that perfect example. And this is the example he set, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He stepped down from glory. Consider the creator and owner of all things. (coughs) He spoke them into existence. Left heaven where he was worshipped properly, acknowledged and recognized for who he was, who he is. He left that to take on the form of a human being, to take on flesh, to be a whiny, cryy baby, to have to have his diaper changed. He took on the form of his creation. He grew up as a human being, knowing that he was going to be persecuted and crucified by his very creation, and he left that anyhow. He has sacrificed more than any of us could ever think or imagine. And this is the attitude and mindset that he's not regarding equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to that so tightly that he wasn't willing to come to earth to do what needed to be done so that our sins might be atoned for. But he emptied himself, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man. He became a human being. 
that was willing to be crucified by his own creation. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Guys, knock it off. Became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He gave up his life. The creator and owner of all things came, was born a baby, grew up. He learned how to walk. He tripped. He fell. He had to be fed. All of those things. You know, we get these images as like he was like the perfect baby and he just floated around and never made a mess in his diaper and never needed any of this stuff. That's not the way it was. He, how humbling that is for the creator and owner of all things to take this form. All so that he would actually be crucified, beaten, mocked, scorned. Do you understand? He was stripped naked on the cross in front of his mother, his brothers, the whole community. Sat there watching him. His body, flesh, torn open. He could have just squished every one of these people. Crown of thorns placed on his head. The things he went through. The sacrifice he made pales in comparison to any sacrifice you will make. But this is the attitude that we are supposed to have, is that our lives are not more important than others because Christ died for others also. And so we're supposed to be reflecting him to the world. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to be like. At this point, <clears throat> we're talking about mocked, beaten, scourged, humiliated, at what point would you stop saying, forget this servant stuff? Think about it. You as a person. We have our, our limits, right? What's your limit? Is it when you give love to somebody and they just don't give it back? And so you're like, I give up on them? Right? What's, what's your limit? When they don't appreciate your sacrifice, when you did something, you did the dishes without even being asked. It wasn't even your chore and your parents and your sibling whose job it was didn't even say thank you. you know, forget that, I'm not doing that again. There was no reward for that, right? What's your point where you stop being a servant? This is Paul's point, is there is no point. It doesn't matter how people respond to your servant's heart. It doesn't matter what kind of reward you see here on earth because of your servant's heart. It's not stipulational. It wasn't Jesus is going to come to earth and everybody that loved him and accepted him while he was here, those are the ones that he was going to make that sacrifice for. No, he died for those very ones that nailed him to the cross. Those very people that shook their fist and cried, crucify him. Those are who he died for. He died for you and he died for me and I'm grateful that his limits aren't where my limits are at. That he didn't say, enough of this, I'm done with this, I'm gone and I'm going to squish every one of these. So grateful that he is not a human. But as a human, I'm supposed to be conformed in the image of Christ. And so I am so grateful that Jesus isn't like me, but I'm supposed to be like him. You're supposed to be like him. <clears throat> I'm going to wrap it up with E, Jesus Christ is Lord. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that. E at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. Jesus uh, placed our salvation over his own life. He then returned to glory, not only as creator and owner of all things, but as savior of the world. If you repent and place your faith in him, he will save you and be your Lord. But make no mistake, when you, uh, whether you bend the knee now, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The difference is, is how you'll spend eternity knowing the Lordship of Christ. So with this, I'm going to conclude the lesson for today and understanding this is the foundation of the text in which we find the kenosis. Hopefully you saw that in there. Although he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? And he emptied himself taking on the form of a man. So do some research on those. But as you're doing some research on those, don't lose this. The point of the text is Jesus is the example of the servant that we are supposed to be. He came to save, seek and save that to which is lost, not, not mattering whether they accepted him while he was on this earth or not, right? He died for sinners. He died for his enemies. Are you willing to sacrifice, to serve, to, to put aside your differences, to reciprocate the love of God to others? It's not a reciprocal as in you love me, I'll love you. It's God loved me and so I have to love you. You understand that is the command for you if you're a Christian. And so demonstrate this to others. Consider start in your home, start in your workplaces. Continue to let that flow out from there. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for Christ, Father, so much, Lord. Just we are helpless without him. We are hopeless without him. And so I just pray that you would help us to get over ourselves, Lord, that we would consider the war of the flesh real and that we would wage war in the, with the flesh, Father. It's not an easy war. I understand that. I get that. And yet we are con- called to conform to the image of Christ. And so, Father, we acknowledge we are weak and we pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, I pray for our teenagers. I pray that they would just be on fire for you now, Lord, that they would love you, serve you, seek to honor and glorify you, that they would be a generation that would boldly proclaim your truths, that would live your truths, that you would use them to bring many to know they would be the light that shines in this dark world. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.